Chapter 7 of How to Camp Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. How to Camp Out by John M. Gould. Chapter 7 Marching. It is generally advised by medical men to avoid violent exercise immediately after eating. They are right but I cannot advise you to rest long or at all after breakfast, but rather to finish what you could not do before the meal and get off at once while it is early and cool. Do not hurry or work hard at first if you can avoid it. On the march, rest often whether you feel tired or not, and when resting, see that you do rest. The most successful marching that I witnessed in the army was done by marching an hour and resting ten minutes. You need not adhere strictly to this rule. Still, I would advise you to halt frequently for sightseeing, but not to lie perfectly still more than five or ten minutes, as a reaction is apt to set in and you will feel fatigued upon rising. Experience has shown that a man traveling with a light load or none will walk about three miles an hour. But you must not expect from this that you can easily walk twelve hours in four heats of three miles each, with ten minutes rest between doing it all in four and a half hours. Although it is by no means difficult, my advice is for you not to expect to walk at that rate, even through a country that you do not care to see. You may get so used to walking after a while that these long and rapid walks do not weary you, but in general you require more time and should take it. Do not be afraid to drink good water as often as you feel thirsty but avoid large draughts of cold water when you are heated or perspiring, and never drink enough to make yourself logy. You are apt to break these rules on the first day in the open air, and after eating highly salted food. You can often satisfy your thirst with simply rinsing the mouth. You may have read quite different advice from this, which applies to those who travel far from home, and whose daily changes bring them to water materially different from that of the day before. It is well to have a lemon in the haversack or pocket. A drop or two of lemon juice is a great help at times. But there is really nothing which will quench the thirst that comes the first few days of living in the open air. Until you become accustomed to the change and the fever has gone down, you should try to avoid drinking in a way that may prove injurious. Baseball players stir a little oatmeal in the water they drink while playing, and it is said they receive a healthy stimulus thereby. Bathing is not recommended well upon the march, if one is fatigued or has much further to go. This seems to be good counsel, but I do advise a good scrubbing near the close of the day, and most people will get relief by frequently washing the face, hands, neck, arms, and breast when dusty or heated, although this is one of the things we used to hear cried down in the army as hurtful. It probably is so to some people. If it hurts you, quit it. Foot Soreness and Chafing after you have marched one day in the sun, your face, neck, and hands will be sunburnt, your feet sore, perhaps blistered, your limbs may be chafed, and when you wake up on the morning of the second day, after an almost sleepless night, you will feel as if you had been dragged through seven cities. I am not aware that there is any preventive of sunburn for skins that are tender. A hat is better to wear than a cap, but you will burn under either. Oil or salve on the exposed parts, applied before marching, will prevent some of the fire, and in a few days, if you keep in the open air all the time, it will cease to be annoying. 
To prevent foot soreness, which is really the greatest bodily trouble you will have to contend with, you must have good shoes, as already advised. You must wash your feet at least once a day, and oftener if they feel the need of it. The great preventive of foot soreness is to have the feet, toes, and ankles covered with oil, or better still, salve or mutton tallow. These seem to act as lubricators. Soap is better than nothing. You ask if these do not soil the stockings. Most certainly they do. Hence, wash your stockings often, or the insides of your shoes will become foul. Whenever you discover the slightest tendency of the feet to grow sore or to heat, put on oil, salve, or soap immediately. People differ as to these things. To some, a salve acts as an irritant. To others, soap acts in the same way. You must know before starting. Your mother can tell you if you don't know yourself how oil, glycerin, salve, and soap will affect your skin. Remember the main thing is to keep the feet clean and lubricated. Wet feet chafe and blister more quickly than dry. The same rule applies to chafing upon any part of the body. Wash and anoint as tenderly as possible. If you have chafed in any part on previous marches, anoint it before you begin this. When the soldiers found their pantaloons were chafing them, they would tie their handkerchiefs around their pantaloons, over the place affected, thus preventing friction and stopping the evil. But this is not advisable for a permanent preventive. A bandage of cotton or linen over the injured part will serve the purpose better. Another habit of the soldiers was that of tucking the bottom of the pantaloons into their stocking legs, when it was dusty or muddy or when they were cold. This is something worth remembering. You will hardly walk a week without having occasion to try it. Leather leggings, such as we read about in connection with alpine travel, are recommended by those who have used them as good for all sorts of pedestrianism. They have not come into use much as yet in America. The second day is usually the most fatiguing. As before stated, you suffer from loss of sleep, for few people can sleep much the first night in camp. You ache from unaccustomed work, smart from sunburn, and perhaps your stomach has gotten out of order. For these reasons, when one can choose his time, it is well to start on Friday, and so have Sunday come as a day of rest and healing. But this is not at all a necessity. If you do not try to do too much the first few days, it is likely that you will feel better on the third night than at any previous time. I have just said that your stomach is liable to become disordered. You will be apt to have a great thirst and not much appetite the first and second days, followed by costiveness, lame stomach, and a feeling of weakness or exhaustion. As a preventive, eat laxative foods on those days. Figs are especially good, and try not to work too hard. You should lay your plans so as not to have much to do, nor far to go, at first. Do not dose with medicines, nor take alcoholic stimulants. Physic and alcohol may give a temporary relief, but they will leave you in bad condition. And here let me say that there is little or no need of spirits in your party. You will find coffee or tea far better than alcohol. Avoid all nonsensical wastes of strength and gymnastic feats before and during the march. Play no jokes upon your comrades that will make their day's work more burdensome. Young people are very apt to forget these things. Let each comrade finish his morning nap. A man cannot dispense with sleep, and it is cruel to rob a friend of what is almost his life and health. But if any one of your party requires more sleep than the others, he ought to contrive to turn in earlier, and so rise with the company. 
you have already been advised to take all the rest you can at the halts. Unsling the knapsack, or take off your pack, unless you lie down upon it, and make yourself as comfortable as you can. Avoid sitting in a draught of air, or wherever it chills you. If you feel on the second morning as if you could never reach your journey's end, start off easily and you will limber up after a while. The great trouble with young people is that they are ashamed to own their fatigue and will not do anything that looks like a confession. But these rules about resting and taking it easy are the same in principle as those by which a horse is driven on a long journey, and it seems reasonable that young men should be favoured as much as horses. Try to be civil and gentlemanly to everyone. You will find many who wish to make money out of you, especially around the summer hotels and boarding houses. Avoid them if you can. Make your prices where possible before you engage. Do not be saucy to the farmers, nor treat them as country greenhorns. There is not a class of people in the country of more importance to you in your travels, and you are in honour bound to be respectful to them. Avoid stealing their apples, or disturbing anything. And when you wish to camp near a house, or on cultivated land, obtain permission from the owner, and do not make any unreasonable request, such as asking to camp in a man's front yard, or to make a fire in dry grass or within a hundred yards of his buildings. Do not ask him to wait on you without offering to pay him. Most farmers object to having people sleep on their haymows, and all who permit it will insist upon the rule, no smoking allowed here. When you break camp in the morning, be sure to put out the fires wherever you are, and if you have camped on cleared land, see that the fences and gates are as you found them, and do not leave a mass of rubbish behind for the farmer to clear up. Mountain Climbing When you climb a mountain, make up your mind for hard work, unless there is a carriage road or the mountain is low and of gentle ascent. If possible, make your plans so that you will not have to carry much up and down the steep parts. It is best to camp at the foot of the mountain, or a part way up, and, leaving most of your baggage there, to take an early start next morning so as to go up and down the same day. This is not a necessity, however, but if you camp on the mountain top, you run more risk from cold, fog, clouds, and showers, and you need a warmer camp and more clothing than down below. Often there is no water near the top, therefore, to be on the safe side, it is best to carry a canteen. After wet weather, and early in the summer, you can often squeeze a little water from the moss that grows on the mountain tops. It is so apt to be chilly, cloudy, or showery at the summit that you should take a rubber blanket and some other article of clothing to put on if needed. Although a man may sometimes ascend a mountain and stay on the top for hours in his shirt sleeves, it is never advisable to go so thinly clad. Oftener there is a need of an overcoat, while the air in the valley is uncomfortably warm. Do not wear the extra clothing in ascending, but keep it to put on when you need it. This rule is general for all extra clothing. You will find it much better to carry than to wear it. Remember that mountain climbing is excessively fatiguing, hence go slowly, make short rests very often, eat nothing between meals, and drink sparingly. There are very few mountains that it is advisable for ladies to try to climb. Where there is a road or the way is open and not too steep, they may attempt it, but to climb over loose rocks and through scrub spruce for miles, it is too difficult for them. End of chapter 7